0: everybody in lieu of a new podcast and the holiday season we decided to replay an older podcast back from 2018 titled finding strength we discuss a few things Um, the road to wellness and why shame judgment anxiety all play a role Uh, why asking for help is so essential what it means to be a strength-based parent and talk a little about about money people with less money actually give more to those in need and uh, how exposure and empathy are keys to greater giving. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and one quick plug for the Zen Parenting Virtual Summit which starts on January 31st caring for ourselves and our children in an unpredictable world. 15 thought leaders 5 inspiring days unlimited compassion and understanding. It's free. So please sign up and we're really looking forward to the summit. And you can Register just by clicking in the show notes of this podcast. And without further ado, here is this week's podcast. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 417. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self understanding. On today's show, I'm going to talk a little bit about strength based parenting.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, did you hear the, that interview, uh-huh. with Jonathan Fields and that woman? And then uh, I listened to a TED radio hour about money, and it's interesting. So I'm going to play a few clips from each of those. And sweetie has no idea what <laughs> I'm about to talk about. And then um, anything else that we think might be fun to share. Um, my hair is kind of long and it's distracting yeah. me. I feel like. Um, Maya, the dog, we saw a dog last night, and you know those sheepdogs where the <laughs> hair is over the eyes? Uh-huh. That would really... If I was a sheepdog, I would say to my owners, if I could speak English... Give me a haircut? Just give me bangs. Yeah, You know, sheepdogs yeah. should get bangs, but maybe that's to protect their eyes. I don't know.
2: Uh, there's... I think when dogs are made, there's a reason for everything. Really? Yeah. I mean, originally, maybe it. they've evolved beyond it, but I think that we are made perfectly.
0: There you go. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, that's my deal. I'm going to talk about my retreat at the end of the show. So, Okay. who Do you want to start or you want me to? Why don't you start?
2: Okay. Um, so what do I want to say today? I want to say that we've been doing this show for seven years and I haven't listened to, sometimes I don't even listen to the shows that we just did. So it's hard for me to remember anything I've said or everything I've said from day one, right? Mm. I can't go back and remember everything. Um, And I know that the principles, um, the integrity of the show has remained the same, Um, meaning that, you know, believing in truth, love, um, kindness, uh, generosity, gratitude, all those things have remained the same. Those, Those, you know, the deepest soul of the show. But if ever on this show I ever made anybody feel like what they were doing or the choices they were making were wrong or if I ever made anybody feel guilty about choosing something for their child or themselves or, or made them feel as if they were weak or um, that their choices were poor and that they should have been stronger in spirit or if they were just more joyful and positive that everything would turn out better, I just want to apologize for that. And I don't even know if I have ever done that. Um, I've, I, I've never gotten an email or anything saying that, but that doesn't mean anything because not everybody emails. And I want to say that because I think that my experience in the last uh, month or three weeks or whatever it's been,
0: um, and for those of people who don't know what you're talking about, what are you talking about? Well,
2: basically I got really, really, really sick at the beginning of the year really sick like like it was the flu but
0: as nasty as it can it,
2: be yeah i i you know i was the flu times the flu and um which would
0: be the flu squared
2: <laughs> correct <laughs> and so i was very physically ill and because of um being physically ill um it you know a lot of what gets ravaged in your body is your lungs and I I know in my heart, um, and you know, with the professionals I'm working with right now, that it excavated a lot of pain that I have in my body emotionally, um, a lot of grief that I had in my body, um, and that I went from physical illness to emotional Mm. um, being emotionally leveled, and so I was physically leveled and then emotionally leveled. And I, uh, and I'm still kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not even saying that I'm done. I'm just saying that the help that I had to ask for and the, what I needed to reach for. And, and we don't know other people's experiences. And I think that what I'm trying to say is that my personal experience with the, the a great amount of pain that I have been feeling over the last three weeks, some of it deeply physical, some of it deeply emotional, um, i it makes me want to sob if I ever made anybody feel as if their choices when they were in pain were not good enough. Mm-hmm. Because when you are in pain, you have to do what you need to do to get through. And in no way do I mean, you know, I'm not saying the the, the scary stuff like, you know, go reach for um, the bottle and, yeah. you know, get drunk. That's not what I mean. What I mean is the asking for help, the, um, you know, to, to saying to people, I can't do this or to really being like the definition of the word leveled. I said to Todd, I may have said this on the show last week, but that, you know, I was so low to the ground that, you know, all the tools that I talk about on the show that I still use, by the way, they haven't gone away. I couldn't reach them for anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I couldn't reach them. I needed so much lifting to be able to reach journaling. I needed so much lifting and help physically and emotionally, to reach meditation, that that space in between is where we have to count on each other. And that that no amount of affirmation in the mirror, it, for me,
3: mm-hmm.
2: could have gotten me there.
0: And would you say that those tools were literally inaccessible?
2: Oh, absolutely. Mm. I mean, the, the visual, I, you know, you guys can't see in my head, but to be as ill as I was physically and then to be like, okay, now I'm having anxiety and emotion and grief. I mean, I had I kept saying to Todd, I have nothing to pull from. I have nothing to pull from. And that does and what what I mean by that is everything still existed. All the things I believe in love and gratitude, nothing went away. Right. I just needed help and need help now getting to it. And I I have been the kind of learner or historically, not right now at all, but I have been a what is it called when you when you learn on your own. You know, you read your own books, autonomous autonomous learner. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I've gone to, you know, school and I've gotten certifications and gotten my graduate degree. I've always had teachers and I went through a time where I had a teacher for like eight years who helped me. And I've had my, you know, I've had yoga teachers. I, I've had teachers, but there's been always a part of me that's been like, I can learn this. I can do this. And if I just read this, or if I just go do this, I will not require or need what other people need. There were a lot of ego in it, a lot of ego in it. Um, and, and I'm human, you know, like that. I, knew, I didn't know there was a lot of ego in it, but now I can see it so clearly. And when you have nothing, meaning when my body was unable to function and my emotions were unable to regulate, mm-hmm. sorry, Kathy, you can't do it by yourself. Right. And you guys, I didn't just reach out to Todd. I reached out to, I mean, I, you know, my regular doctor, my therapist, you know, uh, new doctors, Reiki practitioners. You know, I've done burning ceremonies. Like I, there is nothing, um, and, and and I did too much at some points. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah, you, you o- think? Well, the I day Oprah you got it. a
0: massage, oh boy, it was a bad day. Yeah, and you bad. did it in an effort for self-care. But what it does, what it did, was stir up your emotions to the point where you
2: I couldn't tolerate. Right, it. you couldn't tolerate. You know, it. you guys have heard the the phrase "your issues are in your tissues," right? Um, and I just wanted to move it out. Mm-hmm. I just, I just wanted to deal. You know, to, I wanted to get the the sickness out of me. So, in every shape and form, yeah. mental, emotional, spiritual, and yeah. and uh, you know, this is what I'll say: you cannot. I I just thought of this this morning during meditation, actually, you can't walk on a leg that's still broken. Mm -hmm. You know, people understand that easier than they do the, the, you know, sometimes the emotional or the healing that goes on that's, that you can't see. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's been things that I want to do and I, you know, like I've, I'll wake up and I'll have like such a good day, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to take a walk and I'm going to do this. And yesterday I spent a great morning with my sister and then in the afternoon I was like, now I'm going to go do this. And then I realized at four, I was like, oh wait, I'm I still, I still have back. a healing leg. Yeah. Like I'm, and then I get mad, like, oh, it shouldn't be this way and I shouldn't have to go, you know, then you go through all the shame and the, it's, it's really, um, and, and this it, it, this isn't the first time I've been here. I've gone through this, but not in this way.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Do you know what I mean? Not with the illness. It didn't on look the same. No, which scared you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because anytime something's new, mm-hmm. you don't know. And with the with the flu, starting the process. So I, it's like I keep saying I started from this horribly weakened state, and then to like deal with all this grief that's old. And shame, dude. I have a lot of shame.
0: Yeah, and you probably going into this before this illness, you probably thought like, oh, I got as much shame as the next person, right. but not as much, and it's really not an issue. Right. And then what you realized through this illness that it showed up. Whoa,
2: my God! Like, and th- and, and, and
0: what did that look like? What did that? What were? Will you share some of the things that you're telling yourself about the shame?
2: Um, just that I was weak. Mm-hmm. That. What I, the help that I was asking for, and that I was getting—that it that it was demonstrating my inabilities, that all the things that I've been practicing my whole life were false. That which again, these are my these are the shame filled thoughts. Mm-hmm. This is not what it's I. Not really, the authentic it's, you. it's not my soul. Um, and I could even have, it's funny, I would have these conversations with Todd still, still sometimes where I would say, I would say all this shame and then I'd say, but you know, that's not really me. Mm -hmm. Like I could in the same moment, there's a
0: difference between the I and the me.
2: Correct. And, but the, the thing is, is what I know for sure. And this will be probably a story I continue to tell for a long time because my leg is still a little broken guys. Um, uh, I don't, I, you know, lessons are coming, but what I know for sure is this had to come out. I think that I had been kind of, uh, it, there's, there's many things and, you know, some of it is, is mine, but a lot of it has to do with my dad and how I had to process through my dad's death and how I did it with my mind. mm mm-hmm.
0: And not um, with your body, and not with my body, because you have feelings of anxiety. And um, I was going to share a few things about people who are taking care of loved ones who are struggling either physically or emotionally. Yeah. And maybe I'll do that. But um, I, I think I asked you one time, like, what are you anxious about? And it was not the best question to ask because your brain wasn't no really. Fe- it was a it was a body thing. Correct, like your body was anxious. Your heart, it was, your heart was racing. Right. You probably had sweaty palms, like all these different physical manifestations of, you know, whether it be about your dad dying or losing two and a half weeks to the flu or something my, that happened in your, whatever it is. The,
2: my issues, what I felt like I had lost in the illness because the illness kind of, I keep saying it leveled me. It stripped so much from me right. that it was so frightening. I've never been that sick. So once your body's been that sick and it's still healing, it's a little terrifying. Yeah. Um, and for you know, for those of you who have been that sick or have had a child that sick, um, maybe even for a much longer period of time than three weeks than yeah. what I've dealt with, um, you know what I mean? Where all of a sudden your equilibrium is like, wait a second, you mean a f- that can come in and do that to me? Like that's something that you know I, I could possibly you know <laughs> not be able to move my body like I could it, it was it was unbelievable to me
0: yeah you there was moments where you were almost paralyzed with this o- emotional unrest correct fair to say oh yeah and um you know for anybody listening and you know you know in a way like god, the last three weeks were hard for obviously for you and for the rest of us um and then another part is like oh my god I'm glad it's only three weeks because there's people that have to do this chronically, correct. So I don't come to anybody as an expert and taking care of you know somebody for years and years because I know that's happened. Like your your mom had to take care of your dad for seventeen years. Every correct. everybody had to take care. So, but for the husbands or the wives that are dealing with you know whatever, if it's the flu or um, some emotional thing, um, the three words that I just wrote down is. Uh, acceptance of the situation as it is because there's an egoic part of me like why can't I go back to work and do what I need to do and then the other acceptance is you know for you just accept you know encourage you to accept what's happening right now mm-hmm. because sometimes you like got away from yourself and like oh w- what's going to happen in 3 weeks when we have this of commitment course, or or why am I not being why am I not better yet and I kept on saying well it's just this is where we are right the other word i wrote down was normalize like cuz like you'd be like well, how come i'm not better and i'm like hey this this is normal this is this virus or bacteria Vi- oh no it's virus this virus is running through your body so of course you had a bad night's sleep, or of course you have a fever, or of course, so... Of course you're anxious, of course, of course, course you're, you're anxious. scared, yeah. Yes, like this is very normal, like that's what I kept, that was my own mantra, just normalize, normalize, because the minute I would say like, yeah, I don't know, like if I would have said, I don't know what's going on, this <laughs> oh, is God. really scary, yeah. that probably wouldn't have helped you, yeah. so I just, even though there's a part of me that was kind of like anxious myself because you were getting better according to our timetable... Right. Um, I, I kept just trying to make it as normal as possible. And then the last word I wrote down was just to cherish. And sometimes when I talk to guys about, you know, dealing with their wives and, you know, we all say, oh, you got to love your wife. And uh, and cherish is a, is a more strong word for me because love gets thrown around on every greeting card. And I know love is God and all that, but you also, love is also a word that you hear all the time. So you almost normalize that.
2: It's kind of got in a mixed up uh, definition. We look, we think about it like romance. Exactly.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So cherish is like, you know, uh, you know, sometimes when I talk about relationships and like the minute you're keeping score or something like that, or it becomes transactional, cherish means you're my Kathy's needs are my needs. And hopefully I can live that way. But certainly when she's sick, I need to put all of my needs aside and just shower her with as much love or anything she needs and not ask for anything back. Cause a lot of times I, when I'm coaching guys are like, yeah, but I do this, but she doesn't do that. I'm like, dude, that's not love. That's not cherishing your partner. You, if if you're doing it to keep score, you're going to lose the game. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And, and I, and it was not easy for me, but it was, um, my love language is acts of service. And there's a time when, you know, in the last Month, all four of the women in my life got sick with the flu. Mm. You had it the worst, and then the other three had it about the same. They had it about seven to ten days, mm-hmm. and but it's all acts of service. Mm-hmm. Like go to the store, get me, get me medicine, um, cook me this, get me applesauce. Like you know, I was in my um, wheelhouse, mm-hmm. so I mean, I'm just blessed that that happens to be my dominant love language. Whereas right. if it was words and like tell me how much you love me or write me a poem or do this, I would not have been in my element. So in a way I felt really valuable at that time. So anyways, those are just kind of my uh, perspectives on, uh, you know, caring for loved ones when they're not doing well. So,
2: Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine, Todd, the experience he's had. And, and I can't imagine right now. Like that's the, the, one of the things that because... Because my modus operandi or the way I kind of go through the world is feeling other people, Mm -hmm. this practice of only taking care of myself and see these words are going to just ring so hollow because we talk about self-care all the time, but I mean this on such a different level. I don't have room or capacity to take on other people's feelings right now. Sure. I literally cannot yeah because I'm dealing with so many of my own that the this the definition of self-care, has morphed transitioned morphed sounds negative to me has transitioned into something completely different. Like I, like we did a Zen talk. I
0: was about to say that we did a Zen talk, which is a subscription thing where it's a video conference of Kathy and I and a bunch of awesome people that want to do a video chat with us. And we did it for about an hour and it, you, you were great. And you, you know, most, if you guys don't know, Kathy does more of the talking on, um, this podcast and on Zen Talk because I think she's especially gifted at helping mostly moms in 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 times of need. But it wiped you on your butt. Like it just put you on your ass. I not wiped you on your butt. That sounds bad.
2: It didn't wipe my butt. (laughs) It did
0: not wipe your butt. (laughs) It put you on your butt.
2: I had not gone so when people (laughs) ask me a question like how do I handle this or what do I do? My, what I do, it's hard to explain, is I go into it,
0: yeah, and that spiritually I know what you mean, but I cannot understand what you mean.
2: I know, and I try and answer the question from the perspective of the people they're talking about. There's it's a it's it's hard to explain. So I did that, and when I was done. I mean, I literally walked upstairs, hardly could walk upstairs, sat in a chair and laid there for two hours. Mm. And that's what I mean about I can't walk on my broken leg quite yet. Right. Is that Todd and I were talking about this in past tense, like, oh, this is what I did. This is... We are still... Still in it. In it. Like, and because I can do a little more most days. Don't you think there's been like every day there's been like an increase of, oh, I did that, or I did this, and I'm trying to recognize what those things are. But there's still such a, uh, you know, it's like, you know, like I've said, I feel so excavated that all the pieces are not put back together. Right. And I so desperately want it to be like before, but in a way I don't. Like... One thing that, I mean, I want to feel normal and, you know, I don't like pain. I don't like sitting with pain. It's not a fun thing. Um, But in a way, I have at least gotten to the place where I know that, (laughs) so hard to say, this was purposeful, um, necessary, that I definitely got the flu. But that this excavation, this removing, this feeling and sitting with this pain, it had to be? Mm-hmm. Or wanted to, it needed to come out?
0: Well, um, one, I wanna play a quick movie clip, which has to do with what we're talking about. Okay,
2: about wiping baby steps, butts.
3: Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps. <laughs> baby steps. One little step at a time, and I can do anything. Mm.
0: That's from what about Bob, everybody. Kind of a choppy clip, but you get the point, and that's what we're—that's where we are right now. Your baby baby, steps, baby steps. Um, There was a part of me while you were in the middle of your illness, and by the way, this is not something we've ever dealt with. Like you've had, uh, we've we've had challenges in our marriage, fifteen years, uh, but this is this one takes the cake so far as far as the depth and the, the quantity of time and all that Do, for me.
2: When you say challenges in our marriage, that doesn't resonate with me. Because um, this isn't between you and I.
0: No, it's not, but it it was really hard for a you. A challenge within our, our marriage, yes. thank you. Um, and there was a part of me that wanted to say, well, <laughs> this is all purposeful, and right. what's there's gonna be a lesson on the right. other side of this. And I think I may have said it once, like on day 14, <laughs> and I felt like you were ready for it like maybe you're sp- one of our daughters are going to go through something similar and you're going to have a set an experience with that but I didn't do it aside from that one time because when you're in the middle of it you don't want to hear that there's going to be a lesson on the other side so I say that to you know anybody taking care of you know anybody is you know for for me you have to be cautious you know what is it what is uh my Angelou say about words, like they're living, they're things. living things. Yeah,
2: they're in the walls.
0: Right. And uh, especially for you, uh, words are sacred. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, I just wanted to say that, like, you, you know, because sometimes I try to jump over the experience mm-hmm. and just see what the lesson is, mm-hmm. and don't allow for the Time to organically the unfolding, the unfolding of it. So. Well,
2: and you know the thing that we're really not—we're not jumping over the unfolding. You're jumping over the pain.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because
2: what I also have, known
0: as escaping.
2: Correct. And the 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 thing that I have you know been dealing with. I I actually it's um, just randomly reread something that Glennon Melton wrote. Uh, I think it was in Love Warrior, but she wrote it a long time ago about how when she finally had to like go into a hot yoga class and like sit and feel that pain. Mm-hmm. And again, she kind of sums it up like, oh, I sat through the hot yoga class. I felt the pain and oh, I felt so much better. That's not really the way things go for people. Yeah. And and those of you who have gone through what I'm talking about, you know what I mean. You feel it for a long time. Yeah. You, you It comes up in waves. Mm-hmm. Um. You have to, you know, have tears. You have to, you know, for me, I'm just journaling like a mad woman. Um, and it is that's what release is like, you know, um, it, it, it my body doesn't want it anymore, but you don't just get to, it has to come, it, it, it hurts. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Yeah. And so when it comes out, it doesn't feel good. And so, um, so that's that. And I I think I to wrap up this, I just wanted to say that again, my leg is not healed. So bear with me, everybody. I and you listening to the show, you guys probably like Kathy, I don't notice a difference. You're doing a podcast and that's all I listen to, so who cares? But um you know, I'm 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 you know, I'm healing. And then also again, like I said at the very beginning if i have ever made you feel bad about something by saying oh you should have just done this more or if you just would have meditated more or if you just if i ever did that i am so sorry um because sometimes when we get too far from our own pain or we haven't had an experience like this we start to tell a story about oh this is how you do it mm-hmm. And we stick to our story, and we say, "If people would only do it this way, they'd be fine." And we get a little righteous yep. um, about, "Oh, if you would just do it the way I do it, you'd be okay." And while there were, that was never the intention I had. If it, I just, I just want to make sure that you guys know that. All I want for you is wellness, and wellness can look many, many different ways. Right, and um, what I wish for you is that you ask for help, and
0: in whatever form, in that-
2: whatever form that shows up, because, dude. People are just there,
0: and you got help from many different oh people, many different types of people, many different oh
2: many whole. different doctors, um, therapists. Uh, you know, you know, massage, Reiki, uh, well, the spiritual. Thing.
0: The one thing that I really um, um, I'm, not, I'm in awe by is that you really didn't stop trying to get better. Like you know, when trying.
2: You, we need to stay in present tense
0: trying thank mm-hmm. you um, you know it would have been easy for you to be like oh I'm just sick and I'm not doing well and I'm gonna lay in bed but you went to the chiropractor you went to the doctor you took along you took walks when you could and that was very hopeful for me I'm like because when I you know I confided in some dear people in our lives mm-hmm. to help me help you, and I said, she's just working so hard. I knew your body was working hard, but I knew that you were like literally trying to get better the whole time, even though it wasn't going according to our timetable.
2: Well, and I kept thinking, okay, I'm going to go to this session mm-hmm. and then they're going to help me and then I'm going to be better. Yeah. And what we forget about healing... And again, I, the broken leg analogy has just been helping me so much. Yeah. Is it doesn't work that way? I actually, one of my doctors said to me, because I was talking about being so, you know, leveled. She said, "Have you ever broken a bone?" And I was like, "No." She's like, have you ever, you know, been laid up or, you know, gotten into a car accident where you just couldn't, you know, move and you were laid up in bed or in the hospital for a long period of time? And I'm like, no. And she's like, then you don't know what this is like. You're experiencing for the first time incapacitation Mm -hmm. in many forms. And that is... um, that is new. Yeah, And so to me, I just thought, you know, it's just like I said, with, you know, with a, because I'd never had, because I'd always has had bacterial infections, you take your, your medicine and you get better. But this time I had a virus and I couldn't take medicine. And then it was, it's the same thing with the emotional experience, which again, like I said, I've had before. I've gone through depressions. I've had anxiety issues. I had had panic attacks before. So I knew what these things were. But to Todd's point, they were more body. Yeah. They were. It wasn't about a thing. I wasn't worried about something. Right. It was full. It was full body release. So I, I'm done talking about it. Talking about it.
0: Well, the last thing I'll say, okay. and then we'll move on. Is uh, and I don't want to minimize your apology, but I want to speak on behalf of most of the listeners, uh-huh. and say that you are somebody who is really good at not perfect, but really, really good at not, um, you know, I I think you try to kind of curb me a little bit because I'm like, no, I'm, I know the right way and this is the right answer. And you're always like creating the space for the own person's experience. So I don't want to minimize your apology, but I feel like, um, you know, you throw a hundred people into a room and say, which one has been the most uh, non-righteous, I would say you're pretty, Far oh, up there. That's kind. Thank you very much. Well, I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. Wow. Thank you. So, you ready to move on? Sure. All right. Um, there's a. So, <clears throat> over the last three weeks, I've had plenty of time to listen on my headphones mm-hmm. because I've been a caretaker for the majority of it. And um, I got the AirPods, you know, those little earbuds that people walk around and look weird. Uh I love those things because if you touch your left ear, you can talk to Siri and the right ear pauses it. So there's no wires and it charges, it has this charging case. So anyways, I love my new AirPods. Um, But I've listened to a lot of podcasts and one of the podcasts that you and I listen to is a podcast called The Good Life Project. Mm -hmm. It's a guy named Jonathan Fields and... um, he had a guest on. Oh, quick sidebar! Um, I did a Tribe Men's Group actually up in Met last week, and Frank and I—he's my partner in crime on the Tribe Men's Group—we decided to use an idea that he had in his book. Uh, is, it, is his book called The Good Life Project? Uh-huh. And it's—he talks about the three buckets: the bucket of vitality, the bucket of connection, and the bucket of contribution. And because Frank is such a by-the-rules guy, he wrote to Jonathan and said, we are going to have this meeting and we want to talk about the ideas in your book. And do you mind if we use this worksheet off your website? And they he responded back saying, absolutely, please yeah. go ahead. So he seems
2: like a lovely human. He
0: sure does. So if, you, if you're if you looking for a pretty good uh, podcast, check out The Good Life Project with Jonathan Fields. He interviewed a woman, I think it's pronounced Leah Waters, She's Australian, I believe. The name of the podcast is Reclaiming Strength Out of Darkness. She has an unbelievable story, mm-hmm. her own story about her childhood. But um, she had wrote a book. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know the name of it. But it was basically on uh, strength-based parenting, which is very similar or, you know, basically us in a... Um, what we talk about, yet a slightly different spin. So I'm just going to play about 90 seconds of it because I think it's valuable. And then I want to hear my sweetheart's um, response to it. So this is Leah Waters um, on The Good Life Project.
1: Well, I mean, when I work with parents, this is one of the interesting things is that one of the core sort of concerns that someone has about taking on a strength-based parenting approach is that they'll come and they'll say, Lee, isn't that a little bit unrealistic? You know, does this mean that I'm just going to ignore all the weaknesses in my children? Does this mean I'm going to create this kind of like snowflake child or overinflated ego who just thinks that all they are is strength? And what I found in the work that I've done, so I've done work running workshop, parenting workshops here in the States, in Hong Kong, in Canada and Australia and New Zealand, is that there's this lovely counterintuitive and that is that as you start taking a strength-based approach with your children – it actually opens up the doorway for you to work on weaknesses in a much more open, less defensive way with your child. Mm. And the reason for that I think is that your child knows first and foremost that you see the good in them and that you're going to start from a basis of strength before you go in to work on weaknesses, idiosyncrasies, flaws, faults. But to get back to that idea of a weakness, for me the way I define it is it's a flaw that compromises your ability to be effective. So everyone has them, and I think there's three really important messages to send to your children: a) everyone has them; b) there's nothing wrong; it doesn't make there's not there's not something wrong with you; there's just normal. And then then c is, well, how many of my work weaknesses do I need to work on, mm. and and how much time and energy do I put into that? So in the parenting workshops, I get the parents to pick up the pen with their non-dominant hand. So for me, that's my left hand. And I ask them, you know, write your children's names with your non-dominant hand. And then at the end of that exercise, I say, okay, now swap it over to your dominant hand and do the same thing. And it's a, it's it's comparable to strengths. We, I didn't choose that my left hand was my non-dominant and it, that was just wired into me in the same way that some of my strengths, the, the particular strengths I have, I didn't choose those, you know, they're just kind of there if you spend a lot of time working with your children on helping them to overcome their weakness, it's like always asking them to write with their non-dominant hand. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I would want to just go
2: back to the beginning and say that, you know, one thing that, that I feel very firmly about or, you know, believe very much is that when you're supporting a child through focusing on their strengths, you're building their foundation. And if they have a foundation and they have a sense of belonging, or they know that they're loved and they know that, you know, that they are seen, then weaknesses can be very easily discussed because the foundation is so strong. But when we choose as parents to go after our children's weaknesses first, thinking that it will make them stronger, it's almost like they're treading water, and they don't have the capacity I'm you know, of course, because I am where I am right now, I'm just thinking about myself, mm-hmm. you know, being so down, you don't have the capacity to reach for the ability to to um, to strengthen those weaknesses that are being thrown at you or said to you or told to you because you you don't have a sense of self. So, and I mean, her example is beautiful. You know, the the left hand, right hand and the writing yeah. with, you know, you're basically saying to your child, it, it's, it's like in school, the way that it's set up right now, every program is, you know, you have a child who maybe excels in math, but struggles in reading. And so the way the school system is set up with good intention, but not always a great outcome is, oh, okay, math is great for them. Reading, they're struggling in. So let's focus all our energy on On reading. reading. And we're missing that if we focused a lot of energy on the math, that it's not that we pretend reading doesn't exist. It's not that we say you don't need to read, but we give them that foundation of strength and then they can they can use their left hand or or read in practice while they have the confidence in the other.
0: Well, and just so you know that the name of the book is the Strength Switch.
2: Yeah, that's I pulled it up for. You know. um,
0: but I'll give you uh, two quick examples or stories. One is your kid brings home your report card, her report card, or his report card, and he gets all B's and a C. And I think our our brains are hardwired to see what's, what's wrong or what the variance is that we can improve on. And I think a lot of parents, maybe even including myself, would be like, what happened on the sea? Like all the other ones are okay, but what happened on the sea? Yeah. Instead of focusing as much if not more energy on the bees. And the other part is like I've been coaching a lot of guys lately and a lot of times they have struggles with their marriage or their partner and you know this goes back to gratitude and everything else like we all just focus on what's not working right and i try to mirror or reflect hold a mirror up for these guys and say okay you're not connecting with your wife on this thing or you're having a problem with your kid on that thing but tell me some things that are working Mm -hmm. and it actually takes work to think about what's working because you don't even notice it but every most people who are listening to this podcast have a roof over their head food in the cupboard and people that love them, right? Isn't that enough? Right. But no, it's not because we have to fix this, and we need to have this perfect scenario, and then we'll be happy.
2: Well, and the statement isn't it enough? Can make people feel guilty. Yeah. Because that is sometimes that can get us lost, and yeah. it, you know, I'll talk about shame—a shame spiral. Yeah. Of well, I have all these things, and I still feel bad. What's wrong with me? there isn't anything wrong with you it it it's a very natural thing to feel and in feeling bad about those things um is not going to help instead flip it and just have not oh my god i should feel happy i'm a horrible person but notice it just the gratitude for it it's it's not a you're doing it wrong <laughs> it is a I'm so thankful for that roof over my head. And because that can, it really, you know, personal experience here, that can throw you into the shame spiral is, isn't this enough? Because then it's like, well, then there must be something inherently wrong with me. But going back, like going back to, you know, Todd just said the name of the book, The Strength Switch, um, how this new science of strength-based parenting can help your child and your teen flourish. What a great title. Yeah. And really all she's saying is start with what's natural and what they know. Like if they're writing, you know, there was a time, let's just get really basic here, when kids writing with their left hand were scolded for it and were slapped on the hand and said, change to your right hand. You know, basically there was a
0: I think how messed up that. I'm yeah. sorry, this is going to sound judgmental because, you know, it didn't happen in my private Catholic schools, but I remember like my dad would tell me stories yeah. like, no, the nuns would hit you on the hand because I think the left side has, symbolizes the devil or something like yeah. that. And I I don't get it.
2: Well, you know, it's basically a child coming into the world and they're demonstrating a strength. This is how I write. And we're saying you are completely doing it wrong. I am going to show you how to do it. I'm taking over from here. Your body doesn't know what it's. I mean, you're basically in, in ingraining, a sense of, um, you don't have a wise body, and you don't that somebody needs to self somebody needs to direct you,
0: sweetie. I wonder if those nuns knew anything about the um, desperate need in Major League Baseball for left-handed middle relievers. That's probably what it was. That's if if they knew that if their kid. Ended up throwing left-handed, they'd have a much more likely chance of getting into the majors.
2: Well, that's was probably it.
0: That's yeah. If the nuns would have known about that, of course, back then, middle you know, pitchers used to start the game and finish the game. So maybe the nuns did God, know. Isn't what they that were crazy?
2: Doing. And now you, like, you can go through an inning where like oh, yeah. pitchers could take. Yeah, it's hyper specialized. It's ridiculous.
0: Uh, Cy Young used to pitch both halves of a doubleheader which wow. is why he has over 500 wins. That is the one record that will literally never be broken in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Most others will, but Cy Young, forget about it. It can't be. No. Um, so you feel good about strength base? Can I move to my other thing? Sure. So like I said, if we're nothing else, we're a broker of resources. There's this awesome podcast. I, I love talking about Other things that people can listen to aside from us, it just kind of symbolizes that you know we're not the only game in town. And there's a podcast called the TED Radio Hour, and it is a guy named Guy Raz, and he takes you know there's whatever thousands of TED talks, and he has seen them all, and he basically brokers he he comes up with themes to um, for each um, themes of different TED talks that have a, uh, a connecting of the dots so between them. So
2: basically he comes up with a theme and then he brings together a bunch of different Ted talks that, Tie that right. idea together. Clips
0: of those. And then he actually interviews the people who did the TED Talk. So it's really cool. So I want to. So the most recent one is called, uh, where is it? I don't even know what the name It's about money. It's recently, it's, it's within the last two weeks. We're recording this in January of 2018. For those of you who might be listening, you know, three years from now. Um, but he interviews, uh, he plays a clip from a guy named Paul Piff. And this section of this TED Radio Hour podcast says, is called Does Money Make You Mean? Okay? Interesting. Uh, social psychologist Paul Piff describes how wealth changes behavior and how almost anyone's behavior can change when they're made to feel rich. So I'm going to play two clips. The first one is about 90 seconds. So I just thought it was really interesting. So here we go with Paul Piff.
3: <laughs> Increases. In one of the studies we bring in rich and poor members of the community into the lab and give each of them the equivalent of $10. We told the participants that they could keep these $10 for themselves or they could share a portion of it with a stranger who's totally anonymous and we just monitor how much people give. Individuals who made 25, sometimes under $15,000 a year gave 44% more of their money to this stranger than did individuals making 150, dollars $200,000 a year.
0: What? That's unbelievable. I mean, it just seems counterintuitive.
3: Yeah, so for the last 60 or 70 years, there's been a trend that people have documented. Lower-income households give proportionately more of their incomes to charity than higher-income households. So proportionately speaking, the less well-off you are, the more charitable you are.
0: Okay, but how does that happen? I mean, how does how does money change you? Like say, like, say you come into a lot of it when you're, like, you know, 50. I mean, what would happen?
3: Well, it would for one mean that you can afford a different kind of home. Maybe it means you can afford a bigger home where the people in your family would all occupy separate bedrooms. You'll have a bigger yard, potentially, or more space between your house and other people's homes. When you go to work, you may be less likely to take that bus or that carpool. When you get to work, you may be more likely to have a position of someone who's, say, a overseer of other people, as opposed to someone who works with one another in teams. And with that sort of increased self-focus, that increased control, you become less attuned to other people in your environment, less cooperative, less ethical, a whole slew of other things.
2: Actually, I understand that 100%.
0: Right? Like, you don't take the bus. And this goes back to Brian Stevenson. In order to be empathic, you need to have proximity that's right and the more money you have and these are generalizations there's obviously exceptions every which way but the more money you have the odds are the less likely you are to be close to other people
2: and you emotionally get distant from what it feels like to not have enough and you forget how god i can just feel that so so in my body um you, when When you have enough, you tell yourself a story about other people, too, mm-hmm. you know, that they should be um, you know, working harder, that you earn this, that that they should be doing this on their own. And when you are in a situation where you don't have a lot or you're struggling, you see people as people. Mm-hmm. You know, you see people, you're having that own your own personal experience of that. and so you, um, you have more, what's the word I'm looking for? Empathy, more yeah. openness. Your heart is is open to it. And um, and again, he's talking statistics. There are people who are very wealthy, who give money, yeah. who do amazing things. So it's not as if
0: this is a... Well, there's a thing called the giving pledge.
2: Right. Where
0: uh, I think you have to be a billionaire to qualify. Right. I think maybe a, it's got to be a billionaire. And it's basically a pledge that upon death you're going to give I think half of your wealth to charity and it's an amazing club and there are these amazing people that do that and they're the wealthiest of the wealthy and forget about 10%, I think it's like half of their money. Maybe it's even more, I should do some research on it.
2: And sometimes those kind of things because, and I don't want to take anything away from that because that's amazing Mm -hmm. and those people are amazing, but it's like kind of that money in hand thing. It's the very literal walking down the street and having someone who is homeless, and you have money in your hand, and are you willing to give what's in your hand? Because when we're talking about the giving pledge, it's kind of all numbers on a spreadsheet somewhere. Right. You don't feel it. Right. You know, it's kind of like the difference between paying with cash and a credit card. Right. You just don't feel it. But when you walk down the street, are you willing to go into your purse and hand over money to somebody? Yep. That's a totally different experience. And I, I think that the more we practice it, the more we stay connected
0: to it. Um, to that, As one of thing. my favorite people in the world, Tony Robbins, says, if you're not going to give a dollar out of ten, you're certainly not going to give a million out of ten million. Mm-hmm. So in other words uh, you know, a lot of us are like waiting for this abundance to show up and then we'll give. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, I speak to you as somebody who is not yet practicing what he preaches, but I am moving in the right direction. I kind of had this realization three years ago. So in December, I kind of take what we make every year. And my goal is to build up towards that 10%. And I think, I don't know what the percentages were, but I'm, really close. I haven't done our taxes yet for this year, for last year, but we're really close to that 10%. So in December, we, you know, we get on navigate, uh, charitynavigator.com and pick our favorite one. So um, like I said, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else because I'm still working on it, but it's just kind of a reflection of my own experience. And if somebody else can learn from that. um.
2: Well, and I think, you know, again, just giving different examples, Todd is much more the, you know, looking at financial statements kind of guy of, you know, giving ten percent, and and uh, the way I think about giving is a little more in that present moment giving. Of like, you know, if you walk into a store and there's somebody selling um, Girl Scout cookies, just buy a box. Yeah. If you walk out and someone's ringing a bell and or doing something for veterans, just give them a few dollars. If you go buy somebody, you know, we live in Chicago, so it's very easy. Um, unfortunately, um, and somebody is homeless, and you have $3 in your purse, hand it over. Like, you know, yesterday my sister and I had a really long brunch, and our waitress was amazing. And we basically gave her a tip that was like 100%, same, right? 100% tip. Like, just do it. It, it. You know, a lot of times we're figuring it out, and it, this is good too. This is not a right or wrong way, but we're figuring it out on our spreadsheet. But what about just in that moment? Yeah. What about just that giving moment? Like $3 well, is not a million dollars. And but.
0: the weird part is when you do that, how'd you feel about giving that tip?
2: It's what, it, it wasn't even like, wow, I, I mean, I felt great. Right.
0: But, but that's takes, not the intention. The
2: exact, it, that's what should have happened.
0: Right. But the byproduct of it. Of course. Is you feel really of good course. about yourself. Of course. Um, so there is hope. I'm going to play another less than a minute um, on the same TED Radio Hour podcast. You know, I think what's, what's interesting about your research is that, I mean, it says that we're all basically like malleable, and rich people are malleable too, right? I mean, they can, they can change in pretty quickly.
3: Absolutely. Now, we found in our own laboratory work, and this has been uh, replicated elsewhere and extended elsewhere, that when we bring wealthy people in, and through even small nudges, simple reminders, a reminder of the needs of others, their levels of empathy, compassion and charity go up. In one study, we had people watch a brief video, just 46 seconds long, about childhood poverty. And after watching that, we looked at how willing people were to offer up their own time to a stranger presented to them in the lab who was in distress. After watching this video, an hour later, rich people became just as generous of their own time to help out this other person, a stranger, as someone who's poor, suggesting that these differences are not innate or categorical but are so malleable to slight changes in people's values and little nudges of compassion and bumps of empathy. There you go.
2: Yeah, proximity again. It, once you see what 's needed, yep. once you understand once you are sometimes we get in our own autopilot worlds and we just think everybody's doing all right, and once we recognize there is a need yeah it 's not like I have money, therefore I am a mean person mm-hmm. or i'm not a giving person it it 's a distraction from what else is happening in yeah. the world, yeah,
0: speaking of people being charitable, uh we have something called a Zen friend, which <laughs> is um people who there are people who want to come to our conference but can't afford it so we invite anybody who would like to contribute to the scholarship fund so we have four people that gave to that fund and I want to read their names off as a as just as, a, as an effort of gratitude so thank you to Amanda Hughes Abigail Budzinski, Jennifer Rocco and Jennifer Slayton for contributing thank to you. the Zen friend Uh Page, and then uh, we do this thing called Team Zen a couple of times a month. It's a video chat with Kathy and I and some and the team. And we did one last week. And here's the bullet points of what we talked about, which you probably don't remember. I don't. <laughs> uh, we talked about why a thirteen year old party is an important ritual and how oh, to do it. Yeah, I
2: do remember. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, somebody asked a question about school refusal and deal with a teacher who doesn't understand. Uh-huh. That was a that was a that was a doozy. Mm-hmm. Uh, How to have a ritual party for a boy. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, how to manage sibling fighting, especially when it feels like it's uh, getting worse. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. So if you're interested in Team Zen, go to our page uh, and navigate to the learn more about Team Zen. Mm You Can't miss it. So It's pretty
2: cool. It's basically Team Zen is now just in another podcast.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, So right now on my phone, I have my Zen Parenting radio podcast and I have my Team Zen podcast. So we've done 23 of these suckers. And um, it's very specific. Like you can kind of scan through the show notes, at least for the last 15, I've done timestamps. So you can fast forward exactly to the question. So it's pretty user-friendly.
2: Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for
0: your support. Remember to register for our Zen Parenting Virtual Summit, where you will learn from 15 thought leaders and learn more about Kathy's book, Zen Parenting caring for ourselves and our children in an unpredictable world.
2: If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering my new book, or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com resources. It's our new page where you can find everything we do in one place.
0: If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking and we'll talk to you again next week.